And now for your listening pleasure, here's Polizzi and Rose, covering the week of media, marketing, and digital content news. This old marketing. Take it away, boys. Hello, my friends. This is Robert Rose, and welcome to episode number 255 of This Old Marketing, recorded Thursday, January 21st, 2021. That's 2121. And with me, my good friend, my colleague, and a guy who, unlike J-Lo, knows that you never follow Lady Gaga when there's a song to be sung, Mr. Joe Polizzi, how are you? 21, 21, 21. 21, 21. Uh, I take it you watched <laughs> the inauguration? I did indeed. I did indeed. And I thought, by the way, I should be clear. I thought J-Lo did a fantastic job. I just, as she was walking out, both Elizabeth, my wife, and I looked at each other and went, how do you, how do you agree to that, right? How do you agree to follow Lady Gaga, who just blew it away? I mean, just absolutely slayed the national well, anthem. You, and then yeah. you go. The, the thing is, but first of all, J. So they had with Garth Brooks and the and uh, and Lady Gaga and J Lo. You've got three of the top ten entertainers, maybe three of the top fifty entertainers of all time, right there. Yeah, now, of course, right. J Lo is an entertainer. She's not a singer necessarily, but which yeah, the song, I mean, the song oh, no, wasn't she's made a good for, singer. No, she's a good she's singer. A good singer. Like, I mean, but she's not Lady Gaga singer. I mean, Lady Gaga. No, I mean, no, she is. Just and this land is your land. Is not like a singer's showcase, right? I mean, it's, you know, it's Arlo Guthrie, right? You know what I mean? It's like, <laughs> it's, you know, it's not going to show off your chops, but it, I thought she did a great job. I thought she did a great job, but I just, you know, it, I had the same feeling for, there was a, I, I spoke at an event like years ago and learned on my flight out there that I was going to be following Seth Godin. And I was going to be going on right after him. And I was just like, oh, this is not good. And it turned out to not be not good. I mean, because he just, he's an amazing speaker. And he went out there and just slayed him. And then they were like, and now the next speaker is Robert Rose. And, and it's like, you know, the golf clap. You know, I get the golf clap, you know, coming out. And it's like, oh, boy, this is not, you know, it's just hard. It's hard to follow somebody who's amazing. And, and Lady Gaga just was un- unbelievably amazing. You got to put that in your writer. Like nobody more popular yeah. than me. <laughs> right. I've, that's this is where I've got to go in the agenda. This is the <laughs> right. Exactly. So uh, my favorite and and everybody else, a lot of people's favorite yesterday was Angela Gordon with the 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 poet. The poetry was just phenomenal. Um, and my favorite part about that whole thing is uh, I didn't really Amanda I, Gordon. I didn't realize just, she had just a quickly. speech just, impediment. Just to be. Just yes, right. It's Amanda Gorman. Amanda, yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah, just Amanda, Amanda Gorman. That's all right. That's all right. That she's and you know what? We won't even fix this in the podcast because we don't edit our podcast. Yeah. But <laughs> uh, she was tremendous. And did you did you hear the backstory on the the speech issue that she had growing up? Oh yeah, she's from L.A. I mean, you know, shout out to Los Angeles here. She's um, you know she's uh, 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 her story is just absolutely amazing. Um, she went to a school here uh, that um, uh, 
one of our friends, um, one of our, 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 our friends here taught at for a, a number of years. You, you remember, uh, our friend, Mike Weiss. Sure. Yes. Um, yeah, he taught at the school that she went wow. to. I don't know if that I'm mean, obviously way after cause she's so young, but, but, uh, he taught there 20 years ago. Um, and so, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. She's, she's, uh, you know, yeah. Big shout out to LA cause, and her story is just absolutely inspiring. Yeah, it's interesting because she was talking. I was watching a little bit of the the concert last night, and right before she was being interviewed by Anderson Cooper, talking about the speech issue, and she said she had a problem with R's. And when I heard that, because my son Joshua, when he was going through his speech therapy as a youngster, he couldn't do uh, the F sound, fish, no, no, nothing with the F. And I'm just, it hit me pretty hard because, you know. It's a speech therapy works, folks. I mean, it just and a lot of people don't yeah. get it. And just to see somebody like that kind of battle through. And of course, you had uh, President Biden, who has um, speech disorders as well. That uh, so yeah. a lot of people don't know that and did a very good job actually yesterday. You know, you're all, I'm always pulling for him because I don't want him to stutter because he had a stuttering issue and he, he only had a couple issues in the speech yesterday, but I, I can't stand it. I'm like the, the person that's very protective because I've been through this with my son. And when people make fun of that, that's like when, when it happened, I don't know what it was. This is on Facebook during um, some of the debates. And some people were saying, what's wrong with Biden? He can't speak. And I'm the one that's saying, look, man, he's got a speech impediment. Would you please stop <laughs> on yeah. focus on what he says, right. not how he says it, please. It's not a it's not yeah. an intelligence thing. It's he really does have a speech impediment. So anyways, kudos to her. Just powerful. And of course, you know, I'm a big Hamilton fan and she has multiple Hamilton references. And then and, and her and Lin-Manuel Miranda were uh, were tweeting back and forth afterwards. So I was all giddy. Did you did you see her um, thing that we talked? We, we've talked about this on the on the show before the the some good news, the John Krasinski, some good news uh, show. Um, uh, she did the member back in the summertime. He did that whole, everybody deserves a graduation. Yeah. <clears throat> and she did the commencement speech. I didn't she know did that. The, yeah. Didn't yeah. She that did. The, it was, Oh, it was amazing. She got, and basically she did the commencement speech and then Krasinski had her meet Oprah Winfrey, you know, virtually and, and all of that. And her commencement poem, her speech was it was just, you know, it was out of the park as well. So it's, yeah. I have a feeling she's you know. set. I have a feeling. Yeah, you think? She, <laughs> you she think has a, a little bit. Yeah. She comes out wearing a ring yeah. that Oprah gave her. I mean, come on. Yeah. This is. Yeah. This is unbelievable. So anyways, that was, yeah. that was pretty special. Yeah. That. That's called a career maker right there for sure. Oh, yeah. She, she's going to do just Anything fine. Anything she wants. She probably had the job offers just flying in. Oh, I mean, God, I mean, it's just going to be insane. You know, I mean, the the biggest challenge for her now is going to be to choose the right thing, right? Is is that's going to be the, you know, she, I mean, she says she wants to write books and 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 someday she says she wants to run for president, which would be awesome. Yeah, so twenty thirty six even has the year set. Yeah, so there you there you go. Good on good on her. Yeah. Uh, before we get yeah. started with the the show, I just. You know, we just have to close, <laughs> well, close the books on the Do we browns. have to have a moment of silence? Do we have to have a moment of silence for your Browns? You no, know, it's they is a good game. They lost twenty two seventeen. Okay, now here, well, here's the thing. Here's the okay. thing. Did they get robbed? 
Did they get did they no, get robbed they because get, of that call? They didn't get the robbed non-call? because it is the rule. Now I think it's a stupid rule, but it is the rule. Right. The, so so for those people that didn't see it, what happened is is Rashard Higgins caught the ball, he was running for a touchdown, he gets hit at the one yard line, he fumbles the ball in the end zone, doesn't get the touchdown, we don't get it at the one. It's a touchback. Kansas City gets the ball. Now, that's the rule. The problem, the reason why Browns fans are really upset is, and rightfully so, it was helmet-to-helmet contact. Yes. Like, you look Non-call. at any of the rules that are going on, he led with the helmet, yes. he hit Higgins with the helmet, and they totally missed that play. What I would, I'm, and what I think will happen, Robert, is I think a lot of rules are going to change from this. I think you're going to well, see sure. the rule where if it's if it if they fumble it in the end zone and nobody touches it, I think it comes back to where they fumbled it. I don't think you're going to see that be a touchback anymore, and I think you're going to see helmet to helmet contact be reviewable like they do in college. Yep. That's the yep. two things that I think are going to happen. One rule goes away, and a new rule comes yep. in for sure. So. Yeah, that's an absolute must. But anyways, um, we'll certainly, off. certainly making helmet to helmet reviewable should be uh, a, a, a rule. Um, yeah, the touchback thing is 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 an interesting one because there are arguments pro and con to that. But um, and it's been a rule forever. I mean, it's one of the one of the older rules there. But you know, I, I'm. I, I'm, I go both ways on that rule because I, I understand that there's a it's a risk, right? It's 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 built in to be a risky thing. So you don't you know, you can't just be casual with the football at the goal line. I mean, that's the whole point of it. And so, yeah, it's it's I go both ways on that rule. Yeah, but I think I don't understand. I mean, I think what they've done in college is so perfect because they don't even have to throw a flag. They just stop the game. Some, you know, so the, re, the reviewer notices, like, this needs to be reviewed. They stop play. They look. Okay, is it, you know, is it flagrant? What happened? What, sure. You know, all that yeah, stuff. throw a flag. Why, yeah, then throw a yeah, flag. Why, right. why can't you do that in the pros? Because that way, Well, because it lot. slows down. I mean, it does. Yeah, it slows down the game for sure. But, yeah. yeah. Like, like anything is going to speed up this game. It's, <laughs> it is. I, I think getting getting the calls like that right are more important. If it's a rule and you want to. Get it right every time. I think you're going to have to do that, and it's di- it's different think, than yeah. a subjective call like pass interference. This is right. you can actually see if somebody led with the helmet. If that's the rule, you're trying to protect the players, then enforce the rule. Do it. I'm do with it you consistently. There. I'm with you. But there. the the fact is, they lost the game, and and we're done. So yeah. Yeah. Well, welcome to the club. I've been here for a while. <laughs> well, it's a little different. The drinks, drinks are on me. It's a little different. You have won a Super Bowl in the last fifty years, multiple ones. So that's well, it's 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 getting close. Well, <laughs> I, yeah. I am excited for next year, and of course, I am we're too. always about next year. But just for the fact that we have our coaching yeah. staff coming back, players coming back, oh, same yeah. scheme. That's a big deal. The Browns haven't had that for a long, long since Bill Belichick. They haven't had that. Yeah, yeah. So, and is this? I don't know. Is this a marketing show? I don't even know. For it is a marketing just, show, and we should get to the marketing else. stuff. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, let's get. Yeah, let's get. Let's move past football here and get to our actual show here, which is covering the news and talking a little bit about media and marketing. And we open up with an article from four or actually Axios, Mm -hmm. but about Forbes. Um, And the headline here is Forbes launches massive expansion of paid newsletters. And this is really interesting. 
Um, yeah, the article opens up by saying Forbes is launching a newsletter platform that will allow journalists to launch their own paid newsletters and split the revenue with the 103-year-old publisher, executives tell Axios. Forbes will hire 20 to 30 writers with big followings to help get the platform up and running. It later plans to add some of its existing editorial verticals to the platform and make the offering available to its 2,800-person contributor network. The idea is to create a platform that offers writers of all the marketing, editorial, and salary benefits of being part of Forbes' newsroom, but gives them enough editorial independence to ensure that their audiences follow them over to Forbes. Um, we talked about this last week, um, about how brands would be launching this kind of thing, and here it is, right? I mean, the article goes on to explain some of the uh, revenue splits and the way that the ad revenue will work and all of that, and it's pretty short other than that on details, but does uh, note a couple of the uh, early contributors, such as Houston Chronicle tech editor Dwight Silverman, Forbes contributor and entertainment critic Scott Mendelson, and Forbes travel writer Suzanne Rowan-Kelleher um, on and will be part of the early roster of writers. So what say you, Mr. Polizzi? Is this, is this a good idea from Forbes? I'm, I'm intrigued that... <laughs> well, first of all, you need to look at the the big picture that Forbes was, I think, one of the first major media companies to launch a contributor network years ago. I remember, yeah. I think you and I, we, we thought that that was just the most horrible thing at the time because in That's a lot right. of cases, yeah. we're like, okay, if it's a Forbes writer, the content was pretty good. But then when it came to the contributors, it was in some cases terrible. Now they fixed that. They because they they did fix there, that. Yeah, there was remember there was a time it. when they had no review system in place and you could put up any That's right. stupid article you wanted to. So they fixed that. Yep. They got the you know twenty. Very Huffington Post. It was yeah. like it was like Huffington Post was for a while, where you could basically if you could type, you could be a Huffington Post <laughs> writer uh, or a Forbes That's writer. So funny. And they fixed it to a review. They process. fixed it, and it's been yeah. successful because they've gotten more ad impressions, yeah. and and of course Forbes. You know, the article even goes on to say Forbes has done fairly well. They haven't been, had to lay off some people. Their 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 revenue rate is is pretty good from an advertising side. Now, this is obviously a big comeback at Substack, with Substack taking on all these writers and the writers that are leaving media companies are getting laid off. They're starting their own thing, which in a lot of cases, writers do not want to be entrepreneurs. So this is very tempting. For a writer, this oh my god, I can get a salary, and I can get a percentage of revenue. It's almost like I was trying to think of what does it feel. It feels like, you know, I don't want to buy a home myself. I don't want to mow the lawn. I don't want all the upkeep, but I still want to have the feeling that I'm a homeowner, so I'm going to buy a condo. It's kind of what that is, right? You're going to have a lot. Of you might you might even call it you might even call it you might even call it rented land, <laughs> if you will. <laughs> well. If, Just saying. But here's the thing. <laughs> Hashtag. If, if Forbes if Forbes can pull this off and they can get some of these writers to come over and they can make it work financially, it's, oh, it's, a, it's beautiful. It could be a win on both sides. Although the fact is, if you're a writer and you want to build your own media brand, you can't you're not gonna do it under Forbes. But you could we, you could do a lot yeah. of other things. I mean, you have that. Yeah, we talked about this. We we you know, we talked about this whether it was last week or the week before, we talked about at some point, we predicted that some newspaper, we actually talked about newspapers at the time, 
you know, it used to be that when you went to go, we, I, I remember saying, you know, in a long time ago, it was, if you were a writer, you made it when you went to go write for the New York times yes. or the wall street journal or some, you know, big highfalutin media company, newspaper brand, you know, you, you got known as a New York times writer. And we said at the time that the sand was beginning to shift and it wouldn't be long until we saw the reverse of that, where you have personal brands, personal media brands, journalists, and going and, be, and, and a pull model from the media brands, pulling them in, where it was New York Times features XYZ writer, right? You know, where the roles kind of reverse, that the media brand is using the writer brands as the way to say, hey, listen, we have the, you know, we have the best content. And this is exactly that. This is that model perfectly expressed, right? Because Forbes realizes that their brand is what it's going to be, right? It's, it's, you know, for better or for worse, you know, you either really respect the brand or really, you know, kind of go, eh, it's Forbes, right? So they have to do something to shake things up. And doing this, just to your exactly to your point is a is a win-win for them because if they can attract really good journalists that have a following in an audience it does nothing other than to bolster the Forbes brand and it also gives them a new audience that they might not have had otherwise and it gives them a revenue model in the you know in the in the process you know and quite frankly if we think for a minute they care about the revenue split the don't Right. They, you know, this is this is not them trying to be, you know, quote unquote, save journalism or, you know, and this is the way this will be positioned for sure. It's the way I would position it if I was their marketing department. But it's all about for them basically pulling in talent to be able to develop a revenue model that's completely jettisonable right you know very little risk you know, for forbes in doing very this. little risk for them you know if if somebody's not performing boot them off if somebody is overperforming yeah you make a little deal where they get 60 percent instead of 50 percent. right it's it's a completely fluid business model for them and if they can make it work bully for them i think it's an interesting idea it's not a new model either if you think about it as pay for performance because we know a lot of content creators in larger brands and enterprises, they have their salary that say they're in charge of the blog or whatever it is, and then they get paid a bonus on uh, qualified leads. So great. You get, you bring in a thousand qualified leads this quarter, you get X amount of money. It's I mean, it's different, but it's not, yeah. it's really is pay for performance and everything goes right. back to the brand, all the kudos. So, and and it's unlike some of the other paper for you know we used to see this way back you know kids back in the old days this is going to blow some younger people's minds that don't remember this but going all the way back to 1996 97 98 um when AOL and um uh, and CompuServe had all their forums they had this exact model you could go in as someone who was an expert or well-known in a particular area. You know, it could be sailing. It could be, uh, you know, uh, boxing. It could be, you know, sports. It could be, you know, and you could create your forum. And you were paid for performance. You were paid by how many people you could get to engage with content and how many people would, you know, um, read your articles and click on ads and all that kind of stuff. And you, got, and you could earn a pretty good money doing that. The difference 
and this is the key for Forbes, is that just to your point, Joe, the, this is not a, uh, a new model. But what they're doing here is they're saying, yeah, you, you can come play in our sandbox, but you have to play by our rules. In other words, you can't, you can't just write anything you want. You, can't, you, know, you have to conform to our editorial guidelines. That's the real difference here, because back in the day on the AOL and the CompuServe platforms, as well as some of those paper performance things that we saw in, you know, on, other, on other magazines, they could write whatever the hell they wanted to try and get eyeballs. And that's what sort of led to sort of the, you know, cat videos and all the other things that were for clicks, you know, that clickbaity sort of culture and, and, and really drove down the value of those platforms as a result. Well, I think that this takes... Obviously, it's an interesting alternative for the Substack crowd. The yeah. Nate Bench is growing like crazy. But I really do think that this is the first of many of these types of, um, whether it's going to be podcast networks, where it, was, it doesn't just have to be writers you know, that, are, that are creating words. It could be through audio. It could th- be through video. I mean, we're, we're going to see all these models come to pass oh, where sure. it's not just, oh, I, the the writer itself or the content creator itself gets a little piece of everything that they create. It It's almost putting a new wrapper on what we've just talked about. Lots of these things going on, but Forbes is the first one, a major media company to come in and say, Oh, let's do this. And, uh, you know, we'll help you get up and run. You don't have any of the headaches of being your own business. We'll take all That's that right. away from you and you bring all your fans and followers to us and it'll just be rosy. So that's right. That's right. And, you know, and, and <laughs> it's funny because I mean, well, the article talks a little bit about this, the, 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 just exactly what you're talking about. The patch has done something. The hyper local news service has done something very similar as well. Launched their own sort of labs as they, I think they call it the labs or whatever, where they, you know, where you can come in and write for them. And just to the point of on the business side, you know, we've seen tech companies try this as well, right? This was, for a long time, uh, the Adobe um, CMO.com model, right, where you had a great editor in chief at the time, and you know who would curate articles from everything from Adobe competitors, you know, like IBM and Microsoft, and tech leaders talking about you know um, marketing and technology issues, and building you know a contributor network. Um, around a uh, around a, a content marketing platform, and that's really sort of faded away over the last um, you know over over the last few years as a as a as a trend I would say, namely due to basically those all those writers going hey wait a minute I, why am I building their brand instead of building my own right they so they sort of the the rented land thing and be, that uh, much of that was because there's no revenue model there is really a driver of 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 the you know quickly realizing that we should just be doing this for ourselves instead of sort of writing for others you think it'll be successful for forbes i think it is all it you know, and like most things, I think it will be all in the presentation. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, honestly, I mean, I think it's all in the who that it's in the who, right? It's in the who they get, um, you know, because I think what you're going to find is, is that, you know, so they, they mentioned in the article that there's 2,800 right now in the Forbes contributor 
list, right? Yeah. In other words, people who write right now articles for Forbes. And many of them we know, right? We know plenty of people in sure. our circles of of speakers and consultants and, and those and they things. Do for for, 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 right, they do it for the visibility. They do it for the visibility. Correct. Yeah. That's correct. And so many of them will be precluded, quite frankly, because they actually work for companies where they really probably shouldn't, whether they you know, ethically should or shouldn't or not is a debatable question, but probably won't be able to avail themselves of that kind of thing. So if Forbes keeps the contributor network you know, alive, which I think they probably will, right? In other words, there's no reason for them to kill that to add this. So I think a large percentage of those 2,800 won't actually apply. So sort of defying conventional wisdom, I think most people in that contributor network probably won't go to this. It'll be net new people who want to get into it, which I think is a positive sign for Forbes. Um, and, and probably a, here's what I think. I think this could be very successful. I think to the detriment if I'm a, if if I'm a Forbes contributor right now as a writer and I work for you know X Y Z technology company and I've written for Forbes and I've gotten some good content marketing value out of that, this announcement annoys me, right? Because this is going to start getting all the attention and, and Forbes eyeballs, is yeah and my stuff. Forbes is going to give it yeah. attention, more attention because they're exactly. getting money it's, directly it, right. from it in subscriptions. That's right. Yeah. That's right. That's right. So I think, I think there's a, a rebalancing here. So yes, I am actually relatively bullish for Forbes on this and less so for their contributor network. Yeah. Well, I think it, it's an interesting way for Forbes to get into the sub game. But I think what you said is really, really important. When you launch a, a platform on something like a Substack and you're a writer, you end up having control over that email database. Right. When you launch with right. Forbes. Forbes, at the end of the day, you have your salary, your bet, you're just an employee. You're an employee right. on a bonus plan. So it, but we've talked about, I mentioned it, we've talked about it before. A lot of writers out there do not want to be entrepreneurs. So it could be something sure. yeah. that they're I all mean, in yeah. for. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. All right. All right. Let's move on because we have a related story. Um, actually, interestingly enough to that, um, which comes to us courtesy of Mac Rumors, which is not a site that we get a lot of news stories from. To be <laughs> this quite might, be a first. might be a first. <laughs> this might be a first for getting something from Mac Rumors. Um, the headline here, and by the way, a big hat tip here uh, to Paul Nelson, listener of the show. A big hat tip to you, Paul, at, at Marketer Paul on Twitter. Um, thank you very much for sending this over via the hashtag. This was a great story. Uh, idea for us and fits right into what we were just talking about because the headline here is Apple developing podcast subscription service to better compete with Spotify. Uh, this coming just in the last week, um, Apple is considering launching a new subscription service that would be focused on podcasts, according to unnamed sources that spoke to the information. Uh, the service would charge people to listen to podcasts. By creating a paid podcasting service, Apple could potentially lure podcast creators with the promise of more money, stealing them away from other platforms like Spotify, SiriusXM, and Amazon. Apple has had a long and popular podcast app that has maintained a podcast distribution service on its Mac and iOS platforms, but Apple has not yet to, to date attempted to make money from it. Over the course of the last couple of years, the podcast market has grown and Apple's rivals like Spotify have been snapping up major podcast names leading to consolidation in the industry. 
as the information points out. Uh, Spotify has spent $800 million buying podcast companies like Gimlet Media, The Ringer, as well as acquiring the rights to popular podcasts like the Joe Rogan Experience. And the article goes on to talk about what might look like in integration with Apple TV and Apple Arcade and all those kinds of things. What say you? This is, I mean, this is, this is exactly like what we're just talking about, only coming from Apple. That's right, right? exactly. And not surprising, uh, we've talked about the possibility of this before. I love the first comment on this. It says, finally, I was getting tired of listening to free podcasts. So it's, yeah, it's exactly. Just, You're right. Uh, yeah, this yeah. was only a matter of time because, it, I mean, this is Netflix. This is, and we haven't even, we're not even going to mention this in the news, but Paramount Plus is just launching their platform. Everyone's right. launching their own platform with all their exclusive content. Spotify has already made that move, sunk, sinking a lot of money into it. So here comes Apple. I have to say, though, Robert, if I had a wish of something for Apple to do, it would to create a better search algorithm for podcast findability. That, that's really what I want Apple to do because nobody has done that. So anyway, besides the point, this is the, it's the same. Everybody's, it's almost like, Somebody woke up a few months ago and said, oh, subscriptions is the way to do everything now. <laughs> it's just right. like there's almost it's almost it's funny if you were in media right now, you almost would come back and say, well, maybe there's maybe the advertising play is, <laughs> is something we should yeah. look at because everybody else is getting behind a, ga- uh, a gate and a paywall to do something like this. It, for Apple, honestly, this makes sense. They got plenty of money. They could get a lot of exclusive programming. They could create a lot of their own. And they can bundle it into their current Apple pay thing that they have that says for 15 bucks or 16 bucks, you get Apple TV Plus and Apple Music and Apple everything else and whatever 18 other things they're going to have. And they'll just keep increasing that price. Oh, it's 20 bucks now. It's 23 bucks. People will keep paying it. And Apple is going to continue to be one of the most valuable companies in the world. What are you going to do? Yeah. Yeah. I think that's exactly right. I mean, I just installed uh, one of the new Apple TV 4K devices um, in our bedroom because we don't have a smart TV in there um, and um, wanted to just make it really easy um, to, to put to put something in so that my wife could watch, you know, Netflix and HBO max and the stuff that we have subscriptions to. So we got this Apple TV 4k plus and I'm fascinated because of course, when you, you know, first get it going, what does it do? Is it, it says, Hey, uh, you know, we, we've got, you know, because you bought this device, you now have, um, free 30 day access to Apple music, to Apple TV, to, um, you know, and to podcasts, right? So you can, sort of click into these things and, and immediately start listening. And because it's the, the capabilities of the Apple TV 4k, you can play it on your phone. You can play it on your iPad. You can play it on your computer. You can basically mirror the, the playing of the media anywhere you want pretty much in your house. Cause it connects to your Wi-Fi network. Sure. And so, you know, you can basically walk around, you know, you can start it on your TV and then walk around the house and listen to music or, you know, watch a TV show or whatever it is, right? So it gives you sort of full room, multi-device access to these things 
um, in a really easy to easy to easy to use way. I thought that was really interesting. So this fits right into that, like exactly what you're saying, right? So I started on my phone and then continue it into the bedroom, or you know, watching in my kitchen or whatever it is. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, everything is just being subscriptionized, if that's even a word. Where yeah, we just talked to, right. talked about another text example. Uh, we're you know, we're, I want to subscribe to words. Okay, give me Substack, whatever. Give me this Forbes thing. I want to subscribe to something visual. Well, that's your your Netflix, your Amazon. Prime, uh, your Hulu, all you know, whatever the case is, and now you've got your audio. I'm going to subscribe to Spot, uh, Spotify, Apple Plus. I mean, I'm, I'm going to get my new car. I'm going to get my new uh, cruise GM vehicle, and it's going to come with a free year of Apple Podcast Plus or whatever it's called. It, it's just nuts. It's crazy, and it and it's almost like there's. So if you're a creator today, you're a content creator. You have a choice. You could go in and create your own media brand and build an audience of loyal subscribers or or you do that and then you could jump to the other side and say, okay, now I'm going to be just for Apple or Apple could recruit you. It's a great time actually to be a content creator. You have a lot of different choices. I'm a little scared that these big tech companies are going to take over and have so much power. Well, they already do, but... I think for a content creator, you have a lot of options because, I mean, if you're if you want to build a platform of, you know, in a, in a niche industry and build an audience, I mean, there's a lot of people that are willing to a either partner with you and pay you money for it, or two, either buy you. So yeah, that's ex- and and of that's- course, brands out there as well. It's not just media companies. And you know, we've how many times on this show have we talked about any brand in any industry? You know, we'll, we'll could buy up your little newsletter or your podcast as well. So that's right. Times. That's right. Oh yeah. I think, you know, uh, here's, here's an interesting thing and it segues nicely into a, a, a sort of a, a side story that we can talk about here, which is, I don't think it's long before a technology company or some, you know, one of the more acquisition heavy industries, right? Technology being one of the, one of the more frequent ones, healthcare, maybe being another insurance, maybe being another, um, where we're going to see an acquisition happen, not for the product, not for the service, but for the audience. Um, and you know, it, it'll be, inter- I think it'll be interesting to see where it'll probably be a small acquisition to start because those are typically, you know, where, where you're going to have more value in an audience, you know, where a small startup company, um, not dissimilar, honestly, than, you know, what happened with mint and into it, right. Where, you know, the, the reason it into it, acquired mint wasn't because of this amazing technology they had. Yeah. It was because of the access to this huge audience that they had built from their, from their blog. There's more acquisitions like that, I think are, are, are on the way. Um, and it's interesting that you mentioned the sort of content creator thing, because as a side note, and of course we'll link to it in the show notes are, um, is a really fascinating, just quick story that we can talk to, um, so this is from a, a mediaoperator.com, the newsletter, great, wonderful newsletter. Um, and, uh, uh, the interesting part of here is it's sort of buried in a number of stories here. So it's about halfway down when we link to it in the show notes, folks, but it's Lebatard gets his RSS feed. And so the, the, the story here is that 
as it says, is typically when major talent negotiates a severance package, it includes large cash deposits into one's bank account. But in the case of former ESPN talent Dan Labattard, uh, it was what he built that mattered most to him. And this is according to Sportico, who said the negotiations will likely be bolstered by something he took with him from ESPN upon his departure. As part of his severance from the Disney unit, Labattard negotiated the RSS feed to his podcast, according to multiple people familiar with the talks. It's allowed the talk show host to maintain continuity with his followers without requiring them to resubscribe to a new show. This is, it sounds small, folks, but that's a that's a, a big, big deal. deal yeah. Right. You know, um, uh, you know, the idea here is, is that part of, you know, and, and we talked about this, you know, I have three or four shows ago where we talked about how some podcasts are. And, oh, you know where we talked about this was when we did our behind the scenes with uh, Jay Acunzo, um, where we talked about the idea that some podcasts now were basically publishing new shows or new seasons of shows to the old podcast so that people could continue to get it and, and be no to switch over. Yes. In other words, to switch over to the new podcast, which is a, a thing now, which is a hack, by the way. It just speaks to the nascent and, and very early technology thing that we have here with podcasts. To you, Joe, to your point about findability and search, it, there's also a publishing problem here which is that needs to get solved, which is if I have a new show on a network you know, how do I get that new show discovered by the same audience without having to have them go find the new show, research, you know, all those kinds of things. It's a, it's a, it's a fascinating thing. And even you said, you pointed out that some shows actually stay on the same RSS feed, you know, and just basically change out shows, but the RSS feed and the names of the RSS feed ostensibly stay the same. Huge value. So absolutely. There's huge, huge value, value that. huge value here. Yeah. Well, I love your idea. So about folks, Oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. Yeah. Finish up. I was just going to say, so folks, when you're negotiating your things, think about that. That's something to think about when you're launching podcasts, which is, you know, where is that RSS feed and who owns it? And how do you, you know, how, how do you actually think about it from a portability standpoint? Well, and you're right. The newsletter really goes through, for a media operator goes through the pros and cons of it. I think overall I'm with uh, what they're talking about, that the, the RSS feed should be owned by the company that invests in it, that takes the risk to do it, not necessarily the creator. But I would just make sure it's in all your agreements. But if you have a, you have a content yeah. creator agreement, whatever it is, if you, if with anything, you have to be very specific about who owns the IP. Of course, the RSS feed is part of that IP, and you want to make right. sure that that's very, very specific. I've been part of some of these negotiations. You want to make sure you're very specific <laughs> with it. So get that done. And then, of course, uh, content creators, the same thing. I mean, if you want to own certain things, uh, you know, of course, they can use your name here, your name here, your brand here, but not here. You have to be, you have to get a really good attorney to look over these things. What I, I didn't even think about, Robert, what you said about the hack ingenious. I mean, let's just say that you were going to launch a new podcast in a certain industry and you're like, oh, I got to start from zero, just like anything else, right? Uh, it's, if it's right. a blog, That's you got to right. start from zero. You've got nothing. You got no subscribers. You got no search traction. Or you go out and find the you know high percentage of podcasts out there that have already been created and, and go out and buy their RSS feed. Yeah. Freaking brilliant. That's right. 
It is brilliant. Yeah. Give yourself a head start. I mean, a lot of domain purchasers have been doing that forever. And I've done a couple of these as well, where you want to get a little bit of a head start. You buy somebody else's domain. You can do the redirects to the new domain, or you can keep it on the old domain. But at least you have some traction as you're starting something new. Uh, but I don't know if this it's got a lot of publicity on the RSS podcast side, but it, you can surely bet that I'm going to look into it. It's a land grab, right? Brilliant. Yeah, it's a land grab, right? I mean, you could go and find some dormant podcast that had at one point a pretty good audience, and you know, there's there's probably even a, 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 a an algorithmic time to value of death. You know what I mean? Uh, sort of equation you could run an Excel spreadsheet on to say if it's within the last, you know, I don't know let's call it six months and had an audience of X number that it's worth X amount of dollars, right? So you could say, you know, you could go to some old podcast that hasn't published in six months and say, hey, listen, you haven't published in six months. Obviously, your podcast is done or dead or whatever, whether you formally ended it or just stopped publishing to it. But you still have an audience, you know, that probably still subscribes, didn't bother to take it out of their feed. We'd like to buy that and, you know, and and you jumpstart your audience reach you know it's a it's a man it's an interesting idea it's, it's super interesting and and i think we talked about this on the last episode but right now there is what do you want to call it a gold rush a land rush everyone is out there clamoring for audience it is that's I've right never seen anything like this it just seems to be building i mean i would have said the same thing last year except it's you know five times the amount of importance that people are placing on building audiences of course that's the forbes deal right they're, they're out there trying to build an audience of people that don't know them, that aren't subscribed to them. That's why Substack is getting so big. That's why you're seeing more. You know, we talked about the music archives uh, purchases. It all has to do with, you know, on this audience land grab. And, um, you know, the, co- the big companies that don't get it, you know, I'm, they're, they're going to be left out. Huge opportunity right now. I don't know how long it's going. I mean, does it just keep continuing or at some point? Is there, does it slow down? That's what I don't know at this point. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's funny that you mentioned that because it segues to our last article that we'll cover, uh, which is time spent with ad supported media. Mm. Uh, this article coming from Media Post, um, and it's research that's just been, that's come out. And the headline from the Media Post article is Time Spent with Ad Supported Media Hits. All-time low, despite gains in total media use. I think feeding into everything we just... It's almost like we plan these shows. It's, it's, There's it's, no planning. It's fascinating. <laughs> There's no planning. It it's, just no. happens. Who am I kidding? It just happens. Who am I kidding? The article starts out by saying, the good news is that consumers' time spent with media surged during 2020. The bad news is the share of time spent with media supported primarily by advertising fell to an all-time low. Not sure why that's bad news, but I'm I'm not really following that. But anyway, according to the latest edition of PQ Media's annual Global Consumer Media Usage Forecast, that is a mouthful of words, uh, the forecast, which being released this morning, shows the time the average American spends with all forms of media rose 2.9% to 73 hours weekly. (laughs) That is a lot of time with media, Uh, um, largely due to the impact of the global pandemic. Of course, the time spent by the average global citizen rose 2.8% to 53 hours weekly, just showing how much of us Americans sit 
staring in front of our screens. Um, but given a corresponding erosion in ad spending, coupled with greater adoption of subscription streaming services and other media, just to your earlier point, Joe, uh, during 2020, the share of time spent with ad-supported media fell to 44.8% in the U.S. and to 65.8% worldwide, both of which are historic lows since PQ Media has been tracking it. Uh, the article then goes on to talk about the beneficiaries of this, of course, being streaming, audio, gaming, social media, chat services, uh, and goes through a number of the results here in very pretty orange and red graphs. Um, fascinating article. Uh, what say you, given all of what we've been talking about the last 40 minutes? I know it's been like this for a long time, but the fact that the average American spends t uh, seven hours a day on engaging in some kind of media, it just freaks me out a little bit. So it's that's just and that's just too. It just seems like too much. I think we need some time off from that. Um, that that get outside, get some fresh air. That, that, that said, of course, we've seen this stream, this trend toward the subscriptions of the world, the Netflixes of the world. And I mean, of course, you got Queen's Gambit, you've got Ted Lasso, and and you've got all these shows that were huge, all behind non ad supported media. I think that there's a there, you're going to see it go back the other way. Just not not big, but I think you're going to see a blip the other way in 2021. Just because there is an opportunity when everyone zigs, yeah, you, know, you go ahead and zag, and that's why yeah, we're postal. Seeing, it's like postal mail. Yeah. It's like postal mail, right? Yeah. So you're going to see you're going to see a, a an opportunity with ad supported media of all kinds coming in there because people are tired of the subscriptions, and I don't know when that hits a limit. Like it 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 obviously did when. You know, people didn't want to spend so much for cable and they only wanted certain things and they wanted broken apart. Now you can have it all broken apart and people are like, I don't want 72 subscriptions, which is what I've got now. Now I want one and that'll all come back. So we go in ebbs and waves with this whole thing. And I think you'll see a, a, a bend back to ad supported so or free, freely accessible. So for any brand out there that's going to launch something, there's there might be an opportunity right now to do something that's not behind a firewall. Yeah, spot and 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 I think to your to your point, you know, we need to also think beyond the interruptive thirty second spot sort of mentality, right? I mean, to your point, sponsored content could be exactly that, right? High level brand sponsored content um, that is quote unquote ad supported, but not necessarily ad interrupted, could be that's right. Could be a model that's really worth looking at here, you know. And I think that's a fascinating idea because it gets beyond sort of also this whole idea of programmatic and um and you know surveillance based marketing and ad targeting and those sorts of things and basically goes back to the old days of saying hey listen this is content we're proud of this is content we're proud to sponsor and we can associate our brand with it and it will attract the kind of audience that we want thus we're going to fund the production of the entire thing, right? Or, you know, four or five people get together, you know, companies get together and fund the production of the entire thing. So ad supported free quote unquote media, um, that is, that is, you know, that is sponsored content. Um, I think also, I think just to your point, we'll, we'll come back into Vogue as well. Well, and we've already seen it, right? We talked about morning brew 
I mean, that is sponsored content, right? And I mean, looks and feels just like it. It's but it's done by the Morning Brew editorial team. It's always good. It's always spot on because they know their audience so well, and they've just gone gangbusters. And you know what else has done really well? Podcast sponsorships. Same thing. Yep. Same thing. So you're going to see, and that's why, and and part of me rejoices on the inside if we would see a little bit of a deadening of programmatic where people don't just blitz their ads all over the place. And I would rather see, if you're going to do advertising, that you talk to a brand or a group of content creators, invest in their success, they'll invest in your success, and put a program together that really makes sense for that specific audience, which you just mentioned. Yeah, it's a balance. It's it's funny the enough. Balance. <laughs> it's it's funny enough. You know, it's like Cobra we can Kai. balance. It's everything's in balance. We can do right? both. That's right. We need balance. That's right. That's right. Do the leg sweep. Branded content is the leg sweep of <laughs> marketing. There's your title for your podcast. The leg. Sweep. The leg sweep. The leg sweep of marketing. <laughs> the Dread Pirate Robert Which, one. Uh, uh, it was so good. Was, I like the art for it. Yeah, that was really. Really fun. Um, it is now time, ladies and gentlemen, for the empirically proven favorite part of the show. Um, I don't know why I just went into my William Shatner, um, <laughs> Captain Kirk. It is your favorite part of the show. Um, Bones um, is our rants and raves section where Joe and I go off in a little bit of a rant or a little bit of a rave. And uh, we're in a good mood this week. It was a good week. Um, let's be clear. Um, so, but I do have a rant. Um, and yeah. And, uh, well, I don't know. I mean, I don't know how ranty the rant is, but it is undoubtedly a rant, but did you want me to go first or shall you go first? Just go with the flow, my friend. You do it. All right. So I'm going to point to a announcement. Um, you know, the company Sitecore, yes? Yes, I do. Um, Yes, yes. They are a uh, digital experience management product, you know, DXP, they call them these days, uh, CMS, DAM, you know, enterprise software solution um, that have been around forever. Of course, that's my alma mater, that industry, the content management world of, 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 of things. Um, and they had an announcement this week. Um, their announcement and and my headline, um, if and, and we are basically going to write on this, so we will have a link for the show notes of something that we're writing on for this, um, uh, for at our little home on the web. Um, but my headline for it is how to make a billion dollar investment a non-story. Uh, it's actually quite impressive to to make a billion dollar investment in your organization a story that nobody cares about. Um, <laughs> it, it, it it so you know Sorry. this comes out uh and, and well you know so this, this comes out and if 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 to 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 sort of fill you in on it basically Sitecore announced on their homepage through social media I think there was a press release there may have been a press release that there I didn't is one see. I'm looking, I saw it yep, on social media I'm looking media. at the press release yes um well it's a press release on their website right it's it's or anyway it, Basically, it says Sitecore embarks on $1.2 billion investment plan to accelerate growth. The largest ever capital investment in the MarTech space, and that's largely true, although, you know, I mean, you can argue a billion here and a billion there. Pretty soon you're talking about real money and there was Marketo and all. Anyway, $1.2 billion space, largest capital investment in the MarTech space will be used to fuel product innovation, more than double the go-to-market presence, expand geographic footprint, and enhance global brand. And then basically the 
press release says nothing. I mean, it, it doesn't say who the investment is from. It doesn't say, uh, you know, what it's for, really. It doesn't really give any details about it. it so, you know, when, when they posted this on social media, I responded with, you know, because, of course, this is so relevant to the topic areas that we cover, mm-hmm. um, not only for the media world, but for the, for the clients that we cover as well. So I, you know, basically my post was, I have so many questions, dot, dot, dot. And so I ended up getting a chat with their analyst relations person and we had a lovely chat yesterday. Um, and they were really clear. They, they, it actually is something cause my first question was, do I care? Right. Is this just some, Barney like announcement that, you know, yay, we're doing awesome things. Um, and you know, all of that. And and they were like, no, 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 you really care. And let me tell you why. And they proceeded to tell me why. Um, so it's an investment from the private equity firm that bought them, that acquired them a number of years ago. Um, they have a new CEO came from SAP. Um, he apparently submitted a growth plan to the private equity firm and they worked on it with their executive teams and, and all of that. And they basically resulted in this growth plan, three-year growth plan. Um, and it is indeed, they're, they're going to get this investment over time from their uh, private equity firm for new hiring, for regional expansion, for product roadmaps. Um, and basically they didn't say this. And of course they can't say this. And, 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 and so I'm Basic. This is where I sort of start hypothesizing and and assuming things. You know, I put four and seventeen together, and basically what we're going to start to see from our friends at Sitecore is a lot of merger and acquisition activity. Right? We're going to see, you know, a lot of like, hey, we adopt. You know, we pulled in this new company, and we pulled in that new company, and now we're you know X amount of revenue, and here's where our growth is coming from, and all that wonderful stuff. Fantastic, right? Uh, I'm all you know, like, okay, fine. That announcement, it, so the announcement here of a billion dollars investment, it could be fantastic. It, you know, a real innovation in the marketplace that, quite frankly, really needs some innovation. The whole DXP marketplace right now is dominated by Adobe, um, and really all the news seems to be about Adobe and AEM and all that kind of stuff. And this whole place could be disrupted and shaken up a bit. And I like that. I like the fact that it's they're shaking it up a bit. Or, quite frankly, all these moves is, are, could just be like a Hail Mary trying to make the company, you know, that's been, you know, out there trying to make hay with things in an industry that needs to be shaken up. Sort of like, eh. The one thing for sure is that announcements like this don't help. <laughs> they don't help, right? It's like, pay attention to our record-shattering investment with so little details that nothing's going to happen. Yay! So... J- jaded sort of cynical analysts like me look at that and go, I, I don't care. Customers go, uh, this has, I don't know what has, I don't know, I'm moving on, right, to something else. Yeah. And, and so nothing, right? It basically turns what should have been a really interesting story into a non-story. And that's why my headline is how to make a billion dollar investment, a non-story that nobody cares about. And... Now, I know why things like this happen, right? And again, this, the analyst relations who were fantastic, by the way, on the phone with me and sort of laid things out and were really wonderful, um, you know, didn't say this. This is me, again, hypothesizing. But I think when your new CEO comes in and says, I want it blue. Well, guess what? You and the rank and file, you make it blue, right? You know, and so it blue it shall be, right? Or ill-conceived press release announcement, it shall be. 
But at some point, somebody has to wake that guy up and go, "Uh uh-uh, this isn't the way you do things because this is content that turns your next piece, your next story, that thing, you know, (laughs) I think of all the announcements that they have in the pipeline right now and going, oh boy, you know, this just uh, this just puts a dark cloud over all of those because now all of these people, press, you know, outlets, et cetera, that would normally cover these things are going to go. Really? Do I care? Yeah. Exactly. Is this really just another non-announcement? An opportunity. Exactly. Yeah. And so this is this is a, a major whiff, I would say, a major whiff on an announcement. Um, so love the idea. Hope that it's hope, 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 because the details are still sketchy here. Hope that it actually turns into something real because this is a space that really needs it. And the announcement was the content here, the generation and the idea was a big whiff. So um, that's my that's my little rant. And I'll this kind of stuff really bothers me. I don't have anything good to say about this. What <laughs> it would have been better not to do anything. I agree. But, but that's the it case with better just to just to just to just to go just to have a little pizza party that the growth plan got approved, that they're going to get all this dough from their P.E. company to do really cool, big, interesting things that would be worthy of announcements yeah. and just demonstrate value instead of saying, hey, we're so awesome because, you know, it's the the part that is uh, that the, the part that was mostly bothersome was the you know, the claim on the, this is the biggest MarTech investment ever in the history of MarTech investments. It's like, you know, really, 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 you know, it's like really with Seth and Amy, right? Really? Really? Look at my big wad of cash is what you're saying. Yeah, right. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. Right. It It is. It's, it's a little bit like that, right? It's the announcement. it's Plenty right. It's like it's it, it's like the guy who runs around his Miami apartment and walks down and shows you his Ferrari and says, "You can make big money if you, you know." It's like it's that kind of announcement. Right? Oh, geez, we could go a lot of directions with that one. Uh, one thing yeah. I would say to this, the follow up here, is that the the last thing that you do before you start creating a piece of content is the editorial content team, PR team. They all get together, and you you talk about outcome and it's audience outcome. What's in it for the audience? If somebody would have asked that question, they would have read this and said, well, really nothing because nobody cares about Sitecore. Nobody cares about their products and services. Nobody cares about how much investment. So, okay, let's focus on what the audience cares about. How can they have better customer experiences? How can they have more uh, seamless content strategies, uh, work within silos, whatever, you know, right? Something. None of of that was... Mentioned. Really yeah. insightful there, Robert. That's a good find. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. Well, it's my backyard, so it was easy to find. It's pretty though. I mean, I like I like the words on the page and the, the colors are nice. <laughs> so there, there you go. Um I yeah. got two quick two quick raves. Uh and just because they're conversations that I had this week. I had a conversation earlier this week as part of a podcast and we were talking up. It was Disney was brought up, and it was the whole idea about Disney's organic content and how that led to the creation of Disney Plus. And of course, I disagreed right away that the reason why Disney Plus exists right now is because of their acquisitions. And I'll put the you know I'll put a link in the show notes, but you know I I pulled up Disney's acquisition page, and when you actually look at Disney Plus and you look at the logos under Disney Plus, the first logo is what Disney which is actually the smallest part of Disney Plus. 
is a very small part. If you then you look at uh, you've got Marvel and then you've got uh, Star Wars, Lucasfilm, and then you've got Nat Geo, and then you've got I forgot what the other one is that they bought. But basically, they you know they purchased 21st Century Fox, Maker Studios, Lucasfilm, Marvel, Pixar. That's Pixar's the other one. The Muppets, Fox Family. I mean. This Disney Plus happened and has become so successful with their 90 million plus subscribers in a very short period of time because of acquisition. And I, you know, I talk about this all the time on this podcast, but every company needs to be looking at acquisition opportunities. It doesn't just happen. So that's the one thing I wanted to cover. The other thing is I'm just amazed, and we've talked about the spending on content throughout this episode. But Netflix came out with their earnings yesterday, uh, two days ago. And uh, they announced that they are spending $20 billion, with a B, dollars on content this year with, I think it's something like, correct me if I'm wrong, Robert, 70 blockbuster yeah. movies. Yeah, more than a movie a week. Yep. Oh, geez. I mean, this is yeah. unbelievable. I mean, if you, the, uh, I've, I've, we've never seen anything like this kind of spending ever. And, uh, and it's all... <laughs> It's going to be hard to catch Netflix. I actually think that Disney, if anybody has the opportunity, it's Disney because they've got the brands to do it. They've got the storytellers to do it. But Disney, who's in a more of a precarious situation right now because of what's happened with the pandemic and they've lost a lot of the revenue from their parks, they're going to have a tougher time uh, creating, putting that much to their content. What, I, what I'm predicting is, is that Disney will go out to a secondary offering uh, maybe get into some more debt issuance so that they could then take that money to create even more original content. And by the way, Disney's done great, right? I, you and I both love The Mandalorian. Uh, they've they've got a lot of new shows that are going straight into production on uh, to distribution on Disney Plus. That's great, but it's not nearly enough, in my opinion, in order to take over Netflix's stronghold. So it's funny yeah. how. They they trade pl- traded places right. Disney was the what's our bet? What don't we have a don't we have a bet on this on subscriber numbers of some kind this year? Oh uh, yeah, I it's some it's something you you took HBO you took HBO Max and did I take Disney or no, did I Apple. take Apple? You took I Apple Plus. I took Apple. Plus. I said okay. that, that right. HBO Max yeah. would have more subscribers than Apple. Subscribers Plus than Apple Plus, right? Okay, which is fair. Enough. Which of yep. course that will happen. I mean, I don't know why you took that bet. That uh, was we'll slam dunk. Yeah. <laughs> We'll see. We'll see. <laughs> you know, here. So here's the thing. We'll end on this note. Crazy, crazy note. The, our longtime wonderful listeners always know have always known that I thought that Apple was going to buy Disney, and it, it came oh so close, as we know. Now the two no, com- didn't. the two companies are way too Disney is way too valuable right now. Apple is never going to buy for them. Plus, you've got antitrust violations, all kinds of stuff. In yes. Finally, anyway. finally admitting. No, finally it, but, admitting. No, they had to. You heard it here, folks. Here, he finally a, admitted that he lost the bet. Oh, 10 years, Disney could buy Apple. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Here we them. go again. <laughs> Something's going to happen between those two companies. I'm never letting yeah. it down. That, yeah. It's going to happen. Maybe, maybe, maybe that should be the end right there. Boy, did Apple lose out on a big opportunity by not buying Disney. Yeah, they had, they, they had they the might chance, have. as we've talked about on this po- on this podcast. They had a chance; it was going to happen. They, they, Iger was so make you're it telling happen. me there's a chance? No, Iger and Jobs were talking about it. It was the uh, thing. No, they weren't. Yes, no, they, they weren't. weren't. 
No, we they talked weren't about talking it. about we had it. A link they to did it. It not talk about it. And if it's on the internet, it's true. Yeah. <laughs> they, yeah. Anyway. Oh my gosh. Where where are you this week? Uh, I'm just you know I've been writing more, doing more speeches. Uh, still working on the the copy edits for Content Inc. coming out in May. All kinds of all kinds of crazy stuff. Kind of kind of back at it, but you know the the boys are both in school right now, so whatever school this is kind of it's yeah. just weird it's not real you. school it's just it's weird yeah. pandemic school is kind yeah. of what they're in right now but uh, what do you got going on how's the weather there in la uh, the weather is actually uh finally we're going to get some rain here but it's been unseasonably warm and windy and all that stuff when we need some rain um we normally get rain this time of year in in california and just haven't gotten any it's been uh, it's been kind of annoying actually um yeah and other than that i'm just heads down we've been i mean i'm i'm feeling very blessed at the beginning of 2021 with uh, a good amount of client work and uh workshops and stuff like that that we're doing so content strategy is back in a big way and we're, you know, we're, I'm writing and I have a new show on CMI. Um, you know, so there's, there's, there's lots to do, lots to lots to do. Awesome. I like that. I like hearing that a good, it's yeah. going to be a good year for content marketing, content strategy. It's going to be, that's great. It's going to be a good year. Perfect. And well, folks, that is it. We are signing off episode number 255. And if you want to get all the goodness of this podcast show notes or dive into any of the other 254 episodes, well, just head on over to our shiny new website, thisoldmarketing.site. And of course, we want to thank the good folks at Radix for powering our thisoldmarketing.site. And ladies and gentlemen, until we meet again next week, just remember, it's your story to tell. Tell it well. We'll see you in about seven days on This Old Market.